Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Welcome to today's program. We've got a great lineup for you this morning. If you've got questions, send them to Jim, J-I-M, 901-683-0989, or you can send them to TalkMoney at ShoemakerFinancial.com. You can find our show, Talk Money, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker and subscribe. We appreciate it. Today's program, Scott Jordan's going to start out by answering a question that a listener has sent in that I think is a great question, and we're going to get into that in just a second. Shannon Dyson's going to talk about business issues when you talk about taking control of your company's health care expense. And in the second half of the program, Dr. Kevin Westbrook's going to talk about AI, artificial intelligence, and some of the concerns he has and what he sees going on in the industry today. And in the final part of the program, Dr. Jamie Fish is with the Bellevue Baptist Counseling Center. He's the minister of biblical counseling. There's an event called the Roller Coaster Mine. It's really going to talk about the treatment of mental illness that we're seeing all over our country today. You do not want to miss that. Let me start with you. When we when we think about, Scott, this issue of a question that this individual has sent, this young man has sent to us, I just liked his question. Let me read the question to you. It says, I'm a 25-year-old investor. I've heard about annuities, but I don't know much about them. What are the advantages and disadvantages to an annuity compared to investing in a 401k or another retirement plan? Great question. Excellent question. And, you know, there there is a lot of confusion. I think that is... You know, when you when it comes to things like annuities or, or how I'm going to invest my money, because we're getting into the how now is, you know, what, first of all, am I spending less than I earn? And then if I am, what am I going to do with that excess? How am I going to prepare for the future? And I, and I like his questions because it, it does, um, you know, highlight the fact that there's a lot of confusion around that. Um, as a 25 year old, and, and again, this this type of question is unique to each individual into which is best, but um, you know, there are some vanity, some advantages to taking advantage to those uh, retirement plans that are offered through work, like a 401k. For example, a lot of times there's a match that goes along with that. Uh, you can get a tax deferral for putting money into a 401k. Uh, it's easy. It's usually done through payroll deduction, so you don't have to think about it. Whereas going out on your own and purchasing a product such as an annuity, you know, again, there's there's, complete, there's a lot of different types of annuities, and there are some in real good advantages to them. But you bring in some complexity. A lot of times there's some increased cost in that. Uh, but some of the pros are they can be set up to provide an income for life, and there are certain guarantees that you can buy from an annuity. Now, as a 25-year-old, again, I think the most important thing they should be focused on is developing the habit of saving money on a regular basis. Um, and, and I would probably lean toward the 401k in that situation, not knowing any more than I know right now. Again, that's an individual choice and it's unique to each individual. But, you know, with the advantages of the lower cost in the 401k potentially and, you know, the match and things like that, I would probably lean toward 
starting with that as a savings program and maybe introducing something like an annuity later I on. like the fact that you're talking about systematically doing it on a regular basis, the discipline that comes along because you're being putting into your 401k, it's deducted from your check. And then, right. of course, if it's got a match, all that comes into play. And uh, it's kind of like you got usually a little bit better array of funds sometimes. Absolutely. The, and the cost. The cost can be much less. But I like the fact that you talk about it is an individual Absolutely. decision. Absolutely. That's so, there's there's so no one-size-fits-all answer to a question like that. So it's something that, you know, maybe sitting down with somebody who's a professional that understands these types of products and choices to really look at your unique situation and figure out which is best for you in that situation. Well, I want to come back later on, too, in the program. We're going to talk about some just the complexities of just putting the strategy together. And this can be a kind of a cornerstone on anybody's long-term savings plan, one product or the other, just making sure that you've got a savings strategy. And that's the key right there for retirement. That I like that part. But let me move to this question that is so pertinent today in our environment when we see this particular part of every employer's mind continuing to go up. And that's, of course, controlling health care costs. Now, Shannon, Dyson is with us, and of course, he is Vice President of SIS uh, at Shoemaker Insurance Solutions. And Shannon, you do a fabulous job. Now, let me just ask you this, because tackling health care costs, I mean, you're talking about this is, a, this is an enormous problem when you see the deductibles are increasing. You've got, you know, the overall benefits are decreasing, and, and it's just constantly, a, a, you know, a very tough decision for an employer to manage health care costs. So help me today. What do you see today and what's going on in this industry? Yeah, well, especially when you when you see over the last, uh, say, 10 to 12 years uh, since the Affordable uh, Health Care Act was passed, uh, pricing has gone up uh, dramatically. Um, and what do most employers uh, do when prices go up? Well, there's really only way to curtail that in a fully insured market and it's to lessen the benefits. And so you're raising deductibles, um, meaning um, employee, you're having to make a decision. Do I want to charge my employees more for health care? Do I want to take on more of the responsibility as the employer? Or the only other way would be let's raise deductibles, get rid of co-pays, make employees pay for the, for the medical care uh, that they need at the time of service instead of paying more in premium. So not a lot of good decisions over the last 10 to 12 years. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, the insurance carriers have been making a lot of profit. So you think, well, surely there's something that can be done. Um, and, and I think that there is. Well, you know, you, you, you actually talk about this employee cost. I mean, I believe you, Ted, said this one time we were talking about this, that employee costs have risen over the last 10 years about 20 25, 26, 27 percent. That's an enormous number when I consider that's a fourth of what, you know, I, I mean, that's 25 percent of what? Sure. I mean, that's a lot of money when you think about where it's going out. It's coming out of my pocket as an employee. And that um, when you that, think about employee premiums uh, or just for single coverage uh, premiums uh, from 2010 to 2023, um, you know, going from anywhere around $200, $180, dollars per month to now average $400, $425 uh, per month with family coverages. I mean, I'm sure if you're sitting there right now and you've got employer coverage at your work, your family uh, coverage may be somewhere close to $1,000, $1,400 possibly per month. 
Um, it's getting out of control, and it's been getting out of, out of control for quite a while. This is also when you when you say this, the employer is is actually having to play more. So, inf- is this inflationary? Is that what is is that the part of it, or is it just healthcare inflation? Yeah, we you, you look at the, the the rates of inflation and uh, in healthcare, and obviously uh, inflation's out of control in healthcare. Um, but what you what you mainly see is it's healthcare inflation in the premiums. Um, healthcare itself, the actual cost of care, uh, has risen, uh, but nowhere near the rate that the healthcare premiums uh, inflation has risen. So you you sit and you think about, well, wait a minute, premiums are going way up. Um, there is some inflation in the market, and and of course healthcare costs have have gone up as well. The actual cost of care. Um, but it's you know more than triple the the premiums have gone up more than triple the actual cost of care. But now, when you put this in perspective, okay, and you try to figure out, all right, healthcare cost. It, I mean, you can look at the line; it's it's just consistently going up. What's driving this? I mean, I mean, you know, it it's just the nature of the beast, and employers expect some kind of a rate increase every month sure and and it's kind of like oh not every month every, every year every year yeah, yeah. every year and so it's kind of like expected so what what's driving that number well i think when you know this could be a little bit controversial i don't want to be too controversial early in the morning but when you look at the uh the the amounts of profit and the stock prices that uh, insurance carriers have have increased over the last 12 years I think that tells a little bit of of the story. Um, And so I think it was third third quarter last year, uh, the four major insurance carriers in the market uh, profited $11 billion uh, in the third quarter of last year. So uh, there's obviously profit in the the healthcare industry. And so the question to me is, um, if, if the insurance carriers are controlling the costs and controlling the market, uh, wouldn't it be better if an employer could start to take some of that control? Uh, and you would think, well, there's got to be at least 18, 20, 22 percent profit in there that an employer could take control over right away. Uh, but if you do that, obviously, there's going to be some risk. And so then it then it revolves back to how can I control health care costs? Um, and the answer to me, if you're a large enough employer, is to start self-insuring. All right, that's man, that's a all right, self-insuring. Okay, yeah, I just said I opened a whole you, you can there. I, I didn't mean to. I, I didn't mean, mean to use that word, but well, I did. I, no, I understand <laughs> that word, but but now explain self-insured and fully insured. I mean, those two are. I'm not saying they're just opposites, but they're they're a part of a plan. But explain self-insured and why, as an employer, would I even consider that? You, well, you just said I'm going to lower cost. But what's my risk? Most small employers uh, today, um, and, and small employers uh, in the health insurance market, I would say in any employer under 100 employees, uh, the vast majority uh, of those insurers are, are fully insured. And that basically means uh, I'm, I'm the employer. I get one bill from the insurance carrier. I pay that bill every month. I take some uh, money from the employees for their premiums, and then the insurance company takes care of everything. Um, and that's that's where the the lack of transparency has come in because you're basically just saying here's here are the premium dollars. Um, their insurance company pays the claims. They tell employees where to go get services. Uh, there's a PPO network involved, and you're just out of it as the employer. You give a premium, and that's it. Uh, in 12 months, you get your increase, and you move on to the next year. Um, Self funding 
takes control back control of what some of the things that the health insurance company does. Uh, so with self-funding, um, it's not just paying one premium to one provider and being done with it. Uh, you have to break apart that fully insured plan and you break it apart into administration, uh, claims control, uh, prescription coverage. So you break those pieces apart and you have different vendors. When you have different vendors, you can have more control. That's a, that's, that to me though, managing control sometimes is, a, is a, I, I get concerned. Am I, if I don't know how to manage control, am I, am I willing to just to pay the premium to send it to the insurance company, let them manage control. It's kind of like I'm adding something to the to the, my plate. Absolutely. And I have to figure out the cost. That's got to be a push There's, pull. There is a cost to everything that we do. And so I think the, the decision comes, and, and more and more employers are seeing this today. Um, it, you're right. It has been, you know, yes, I realize I'm probably paying too much, uh, but... I'm paying one monthly premium and I know that it's going to be within this range in the next year. Um, I don't know what my premium is going to be, but I, but I hope that we can get it to a manageable level. Um, but over the last 10 years, employers are saying, I can't manage this, these premium increases any longer. There's got to be a better way. So you're thinking it's getting now to the point where it's out of control that the employer is saying, Oh, time out. I got to take a deep breath. This, uh, you know, I'm paying so much money. Well, when you've gotten to the point where you're paying the same premium for an $8,000 deductible uh, that you were paying 10 years ago for a $750 deductible for your employees, your employees are saying, we don't have health insurance coverage. We pay our premium and we go to the doctor and we pay everything out of our pocket. And so it comes to a point where an employer says, well, I've got to do one of two things, either stop offering health insurance, which the law says I now have to if I have more than 50 employees, or figure out a way to get a better plan because employees are not liking what we're doing right now. You know, Scott, let me go back to you because we talk to a lot of employers. And and do you hear this noise? That I mean, I mean, Shannon's out there helping them make decisions, but from your chair, when you're talking about their overall package, because we do a lot of 401k plans, managing that and the fiduciary responsibilities there. What do you see? What do you hear when you talk to these guys? Well, first of all, that's definitely the side of the benefit package that gets the most attention and, and, and rightfully so. It's usually the largest cost to the employer. You know, we all have a limited amount of resources. So we have a dollar, if you think of it like that, that we have to spend and how are we going to break that up? And when more and more of that has to go to healthcare costs, that reduces other benefits. It reduces the amount of people you can hire and all that uh, going forward. So it really it's, creates a problem. It does. There. It does. Yeah, that's that push pull again, where you're trying to make the right decisions, but Sometimes the insurance company is making the decision for you. Is that Shannon? Is that what you're talking about? I think, Scott, that's exactly right. You know, when, when, you ha- when you're an employer, you, you want to offer uh, the reason that you offer benefits. You want to take care of your employees. I mean, that's, that's the main driving force. I want to attract good employees. I want to keep them. I want to take care of them and their families. Uh, and so that's what, that's what you do. You get to the point where you feel, you know what? We are paying premiums that are so high and we are charging our employees so much money for these premiums. Yet when they go to the doctor, they're having to pay all of the costs out right. of their pocket until they reach the deductible. Um, and so, yeah, if we make some changes and we move to self-insuring, it may not look the same as it does today. And there's going to be some noise involved with that. And there's going to be employees that are saying, I don't understand this, Mm -hmm. Uh, but we have to do something different. 
I, I guess that's the key, something different. Now, there, you know, if you just tuned in, I, I guess I need to make sure you know who we talked to. Shannon Dyson, Scott Jordan, we're talking about taking control of your company's health care expense. Now, that's the employer, but sometimes the employees kind of almost got to ask because they're paying a premium and are they getting what they need? Now, let me bring up something that was recently passed. It, I believe it was called the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. Now, I know enough about that to be dangerous, Shannon. I know you know a lot about it, but what should an employer know about this legislation and how does it affect them? That's now, let me say it again, Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. So the, the CAA was was passed um, and the 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 main things that grabbed headlines were transparency and pricing. Uh, the No Surprises Act was a part of this this bill, meaning uh, it, we need to be more transparent with pricing. Insurance carriers need to open up the books. Let us see what these things are actually costing for our for when we go get services opening up the books now yeah letting us see what transparency. what transparency what do these things actually cost um no surprise billing uh meating if you go out of network if you go to an out-of-network hospital limiting and put, putting some caps on what those charges actually can be um if you've ever been to a hospital or gone out of network you know those bills can be astronomical and so that's what caught most of the headlines uh, but there are also some things within this bill that employers need to be aware about. And the main thing is this bill reinforces and makes the employer of a health plan the fiduciary on that health plan, meaning they are responsible for making sure that they are making the best decisions and the most cost-effective decisions for their employees' health care. Um, and so that's that's an eye-opener and a wake-up call that most employers may not be aware of, of right now. Now, you said fiduciary. That's a big word. That's a big and word. Immediately when you said it, I went Department of Labor. Is that playing with that? Is that where you brought in the Department of Labor now to hold them accountable as a fiduciary? Yes. Because uh, in our world of managing a 401k plan... We live that way, right, Scott? Absolutely. I mean, it's been that way for a while. We be, it's been that way for a while. We we don't fear the DOL. We right. prepare for the DOL. Yes, it was. We're going back to our, these are ERISA plans, and so what they're what the new law is basically reinforcing and saying is, Mister Employer, you are the plan fiduciary. It is nobody's responsibility. At the, at the end of the day, the buck stops with you. So the decisions that you're making about the health care plan that you are providing to your employees. You need to make sure that you know where those costs are. How much are your consultants getting paid? You need to know that right now. You need to be sending out notices saying you need. we need to know what we are paying in consulting fees and commissions. Because if you are asked at some point by the Department of Labor, why did you make this decision to go to this plan when the commission on this level to your broker was 7% when you could have gone to this one and it was 5%, I don't know is not a, is not an appropriate answer for that. So you need to know the information. So now let's clearly let's, let's, let's itemize this so that it's clearly understood. You're talking about what is the compensation for the contract, the renewal. In other words, compensation to the broker, compensation to the insurance. I guess that's insurance. You you need to have that clearly defined. And then that's indirect and direct compensation. Absolutely. Everything. So the, the, what the CAA is, is, is bringing forth is saying, yeah, we know that there are some commissions or some fees being paid to consultants and brokers, 
But what about the indirect compensation, the extra bonuses for body of clients that are with a, with one certain carrier and you're getting an extra bonus over here that may not be disclosed? We need to know all compensation that is being paid. And is it reasonable for what the for the job that they are doing? You know, Scott, that's just our life. And in, in, in a 401k plan, it's uh, it's transparent 100%. And as he was talking about that, I was thinking about that reasonable compensation because that's one of the things the DOL hits hardest on is, is looking at all those costs, looking at all those fees associated with a retirement plan and a consultant and an advisor and all those things. And are those fees reasonable? Now, they don't really clearly define reasonable, which always makes it a little bit challenging. But, um, you know, you, you need to be getting value for the money that you're spending. And I think that's just going to put more back on the employer to make sure that they're working with somebody who can help them understand all that. Wow, that's the Consolidated Appro- Appropriations Act of 2021. Shannon, when we come back, I want you to be very specific on things from the Department of Labor, what an employer needs to fully understand. I want to make sure that we give that information. If you just tuned in, of course, we're talking with Shannon Dyson and Scott Jordan. If you'd like to talk to these guys, telephone number is 901-757-5757. Man, I'm thinking I would like to just talk to you just to get more information, Shannon, because this is a game changer for a lot of people, and it's kind of been a sleeper a little bit, and they need to understand why it's important. Also, we need to understand why it's important to know more about artificial intelligence. Coming up, when we get back, Kevin Westbrook's going to cover some very specific things. He's with Strategic, man, I can't even speak. He is with Strategic Aim Consulting, and that's what we're going to, he'll help us understand some things specifically about that. And Jamie Fish, Minister of Biblical Counseling from Bellevue Baptist, the roller coaster mind, diagnosis and treatment of mental illness. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. All guarantees are subject to the financial strength and claims paying ability of the issuing insurance company. An annuity is intended to be a long-term, tax-deferred retirement vehicle. Earnings are taxable as ordinary income when distributed, and if withdrawn before age 59 and a half, may be subject to a 10% federal tax penalty. If the annuity will fund an IRA or other tax-qualified plan, the tax deferral feature offers no additional value. Qualified distributions from a Roth IRA are generally excluded from gross income, but taxes and penalties may apply to non-qualified distributions. There are charges and expenses associated with annuities, such as deferred sales charges, surrender charges for early withdrawals. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, and uh, we so much appreciate that. If you have questions, I want to remind you, just send them to Jim, J-I-M, 
to the to the text line 901-683-0989 or you can send them to talk money at shoemakerfinancial.com you can find our show talk money on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts search for talk money with jim shoemaker and subscribe to our podcast we'd certainly appreciate it we're talking with shannon dyson we're talking with how employers can begin to control their health care costs but I made a mistake, I guess, and asked about some new Appropriations Act called Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. And, you know, and I got him going. I mean, uh, and, and it's important because, Shannon, you really are talking that's something about it's a game changer when it really comes to the employer, the employee relationship. The fact that an employee can now call the DOL and say, I don't think we're doing, I don't think I'm being treated fair. That's a big deal. And the DOL has to step in. Well, you know, that's next. That's the the next logical step of what's going to happen. Yeah. So what does the employer do? Give me some action steps and let's just help me out. Well, at a minimum, you know, employers need to request uh, compensation disclosures from the their brokers, their consultants, uh, before they sign any new contracts, renewals, or extensions of any covered service. They need to be requesting that information so they can have it. Um, they need then need to go over those fees. They need to look at it and say, okay, do we believe that this is, are reasonable charges for for the work that's being done? Um, they also need to determine like which which committee or individuals within the organization are going to do this and 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 how they're going to analyze it on a regular basis. I know we use when you talk about this, Scott. We use an investment committee to to meet on a regular basis, and I think that's important. Absolutely, and 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 benchmarking things, looking yeah. out there and seeing what what else is out there in the industry, and that's that's the way we do it in the four hundred one k world is looking at those costs and benchmarking it against everything else out in the marketplace. And, and then I think another thing that that employers need to make sure that they have they need to have fiduciary insurance there there are plans that you can that you can purchase that that cover you in case something happens and you did not fulfill uh, that responsibility is just making sure that you have these things in place. And there's there's lists of other things that we could go through. Well, but. I'll tell you what, that's what kind of prompted me. That's such a big subject. I mean, literally, we were talking about just getting control. And I mean, you there's several things we just didn't have time to cover about that just along but when you really think about it, this Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021, introducing what's going on there, and the fact that now the DOL is an integral part of your plan, whether you like it or not, that's really what's happened. The fiduciary word is a game changer. Yeah, getting more control means more responsibility. Absolutely. Uh, but so just make sure wanna, you're prepared. I want to have you back, and i tell you what, we'll do that. And i tell you what we'll do is get Scott in the room, and we can kind of talk about what that means you know, it's we back to my question, I guess. It may mean more responsibility, but it's also meaning that I'll take that control for the dollars and manage that responsibility because that's what we've seen when it comes to the 401k plan. Absolutely. And and I will say as as much as I hate the control and the and the additional pressure on employers in the retirement plan world, we have seen costs come down and plans get more efficient as a result of some of those. And goals. it's better for the employee. Absolutely. Bottom absolutely, line absolutely. is that should be the, absolutely. The, the the way things are thought about. What's the best for the employee? Guys, great job. Let's do that again. We'll bring you back, Shannon, and go from there. But I do want to now transfer my mind and thinking about artificial intelligence. Now, that's why I wanted this thought process here. Strategic aim, of course, that is the firm. He is a uh, also a professor. But, uh, you know, when I bring Dr. Kevin Westbrook on, personal friend, 
But Strategic Aim Consulting is his company, but he teaches also uh, in a master's program at Union University. But, Kevin, you do a fabulous job, and you really kind of worked into this idea of what artificial, artificial intelligence is all about. Help us out. Welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate being back on the program and uh, love talking about this topic because it's so new. And well, I say it's new. It's been around for, for a number of years. But the fact is that we're starting to see some new developments in this area of AI. And I was with you a couple of months ago talking about chat GPT. So this is kind of an extension of that discussion. Well, ask, let me, let's go back. Give me a broad definition so that everybody listening can understand what exactly is AI and I guess, you know, how would I want to use it if I were going to use it? And where do you see it going? Jim, I just want to tell you, it's okay if you say AI the rest of the time. You don't have to go and, and try and say did the I say full AI length words. You say- can say AI and it just <laughs> flows like that. Did I say artificial intelligence and blow it again? So you did it perfectly right there because yeah. you weren't thinking about it. That's right. Well, artificial intelligence, and I'll just give you a little bit of a definition that I found in the literature. It's the ability of a system being primarily a computer system or computing system or program to think and learn from experience. So we've got all this data that we put into a a computer, if you will, and it learns logic. It has logic, and it kind of puts the variables together and thinks more like a human being. Some people call this neural networking or kind of the way the brain works, and it will actually help us it actually will create decisions or make decisions for us based upon this decision that it has to go through. So make decisions for me. I mean, that's scary. So the idea between human and computer and AI and all that kind of blends together, will we ever get to a point where we'll not be able to determine who's talking to you? Well, I mean, I can see that almost. Well, we can see that now because of really this thing called natural language processing, which integrates linguistics with the computer science field, if you, if you will. Because normally computers think in ones and zeros. It's a binary language. And where we are today is that natural language processing refers to the branch of AI that gives machines the ability to read, understand, and derive meaning from human languages so we can actually have a conversation with a computer as if it were a human. That's scary. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe I've had some of those conversations. Yeah, you know, The other day I had a conversation. I actually complimented this the people because I, it was a, one of those phone deals. You know, right. hey, Scott, yeah. we were on the phone. <laughs> and I said, boy, that was really a good experience. Now, when we talk, it sounded like somebody. It, it did. Was, it did. But, uh, but it, you know, now that I'm thinking about been a it, computer. it was probably AI talking just as nice and sweet to us as she could be and, and answering our questions. Well, if you talk to your phone like I do uh, for directions to get here, for instance, yep. there's a person, it sounds like a person anyway, yeah. who comes on and tells me how to get here. How about that? Uh, okay. All right. All right. Now, there's rumors about that AI is going to replace jobs, and that's a critical problem when we start thinking about what we look at in the future. In fact, when you, I read one leading economist that talked about chat B. GPT is that that new service that AI service is going to use. It's, you know, it's going to replace a lot of things, even the taxi industry. There's a lot of stuff going on. Tell me what you think it is and what do you think is going on? Yeah, a lot of been, lots been written on this recently about uh, is AI going to really replace jobs? In some cases, it might. I think it's going to restructure jobs. Because let me just say this. Uh, there was a guy named David Autry. He was an economist that wrote uh, an article, if you will, 
And he said he found that 60% of today's workers are employed in occupations that did not exist in 1940. Now, think about that. What happened? Well, because technology advanced, people were reshifted or they shifted into other types of jobs and they adapted as, as workers. So computers have taken over a lot of functions that we have today. But the fact is that they're repositioning themselves into jobs and using these computers along with those jobs to help the, the everyday process of working. So that's not a bad thing, actually. Well, when you, when you think of that, you say it's not a bad thing. I guess I'm thinking of that generation of people. I mean, Tyler, uh, our producer, I mean, there's a generation. He's younger than I am. And, you know, Tyler, why don't you just weigh in on this? What What are your take on, from an AI, the thought of how that's going to affect you in 20 years? It's hard for me to say for a couple of reasons. Now, I come from a background where I majored in English in college, right? That's right. So the first thing I think about when I see chat GPT and the way it answers questions is – the way that I have tried to hone my skill of writing, which I consider a skill, and to communicate with nuance and particular language, I don't want to say it's been wiped out, but it feels like it's been made cheaper because a computer can do it, whereas people don't have to spend quite as much time revising what they've written, you know, going back, checking for errors in grammar, changing the choice of their words, that kinds of thing. You can see it on a resume, right? But as Kevin said, there's two important points to that where the jobs are going to change, right? And even if you fake a paper or you fake a resume, you still have to walk in there and prove that whatever you've said over the phone or through electronic communication, you still have to prove that you can bring whatever you've pitched to the table. So I, I think Kevin's reassured me a little bit in that way where like things are going to change, but you still got to do an honest day's work. It's just going to be different work. That's a good point, Kevin. When you th look, think of what he's saying, what would you say then the approach within our business and corporate world would be to AI when it comes to that operations? I mean, how much do you see us using it and, you know, for affecting people like Tyler? What's your thoughts there when you, th when you think through that? Well, we're going we're gonna to continue to use it in a lot of applications because we want efficiency, we want productivity, we want to cut costs, we want to grow revenues in our business, and AI is going to allow us to do that. And we've already seen that in, in a number of industries across the spectrum where we are now using AI effectively in logistics, in healthcare, in marketing and media, as Tyler mentioned, as well as just in, in the financial industry itself. It uses a lot of AI applications also. All right, brings me to my question. And this says, I guess, there's good and there's bad. And, you know, can, we, can, we kind of, t you know, talk around it, dance around it a little bit. Is there a need for government regulation when it comes to AI? I mean, is it going to go too far? Uh, what do you see on the horizon? What What's the problem? Well, the problem is, is the use of AI and the validity of the use of AI. In other words, is it a reliable tool? You have to understand that AI basically is a machine learning model that learns based upon variables and data that we put into it. So the OGIGO principle, garbage in, garbage out, oft, often produces the garbage out. And so we really have to be more in tune with the way the machine is going through the learning process and the type of data that we're putting into it. Because if I put flawed data into it and I don't check the logic of, of the way AI is coming up with some of its conclusions, I'm going to have erroneous outcomes or erroneous decisions that are going to be made. And in fact, that's exactly what has been happening in some cases. So yes, there is going to be government oversight. In fact, the uh, the EU has already started looking at this a couple of years ago, and now the U.S. government is beginning to look at this as well. 
Uh, we, we probably need a little bit of oversight uh, because there are some dangers in interpreting some of the results that are coming out of AI right now. All right, dangers. All right, you mentioned prior to the program, we were kind of in our production discussions, chaos GPT. That's a big deal. I want, I want just talk about that for a second. Now, guys, let me tell you something. You just tuned in. We're talking with Dr. Kevin Westbrook. He is the he's the principal that is of Strategic Game Consulting and also a professor at Union University. And he this is something that he is really kind of I guess major kind of a champion on really figuring out and understanding AI, and he's done a great job. And he's about to tell you something that when you think about this, this is when it's not regulated. When it's out of control, where can this go? So pay attention, Kevin. Yeah, well, sure. I just pulled an article uh, the other day. Uh, there is a, a new version of GPT that just hit the marketplace. It's called GPT-4. And again, it's uh, produced by OpenAI, uh, GPT. Well, apparently, um, nobody knows where the source was, but there was a Twitter account that set up. And, and what emerged from the Twitter account was a Chaos GPT. Chaos. It's a chat bot called Chaos GPT. And basically, uh, the account shared multiple hyperlinks directing people to a YouTube channel that showcases the principles and benefits of the chat bot's manifesto. Now, here's what the chat bot manifesto was about. The AI platform had five major objectives. One was to destroy humanity. The second, establish global dominance, cause chaos and destruction, control humanity through manipulation, and attain immortality. So basically, the question was posed, how can we destroy humanity? Wow. And let the computer generate an answer. That's comforting. That's that's very comforting. I mean, guys, I'm just simply thinking through this process, there is going to have to be some kind of regulation. I mean, we've got, we're going to be talking with Jamie Fish in just a few minutes of people going through this mental crisis, the roller coaster mine and how it needs to be dealt with and diagnosed and, and the help that needs to go because it's just out of control. You mentioned something about Elon Musk and a moratorium and thousands of people are saying the government's got to get involved, but we just need to slow this thing down. What were the reasons? Yeah, uh, there was a letter that was written t- from probably a thousand tech leaders that, and, and these concluded researchers and they signed the letter basically to the uh, CEO of, of OpenAI. And they were requesting a moratorium because of the profound risk to society of what chat GPT and some of these other types of engines can do f- for us or against us. And what will. were some of these things you were talking about? I mean, literally things that, I mean, I, you kind of alarmed me from a children's standpoint, from yeah. adults that have mental illness and things like that. So Exactly. So you can put anything into these engines and you, it'll generate text for you on how to do things. For example, uh, how can I make an illegal firearm at home, perhaps? Or how can I use uh, dangerous substances from household items that may be harmful to me or to someone else that can create uh, bad bad events or bad effects on society itself. And that's been around for a long time. That's not just, but this is just taking it to another step is what you're saying. Yeah, it's just accessibility of this information quickly and, and how it kind of puts it together into a text format and gives me actual possible instructions on how to do things and, that I shouldn't do. And that's scary because, I mean, all of a sudden, instead of me having to do a lot of research, I mean, all of a sudden it's writing me a couple of pages of instructions. Perhaps a recipe. A Who recipe. Wow. Scary. Very scary. Well, I want to have you back. We're going to talk some more about this. Too important. 
uh, of subject matter that we need to just keep aware of. And, and I appreciate you doing the research. And I thank you, sir. We'll do that again and, um, and, and definitely work through that process. Let me turn the page because I really want to talk with this, this, this whole subject. I mean, Kevin's just introduced it to us. This roller coaster mine, and this is going to be taking place at Bellevue Baptist Church. And I am privileged to have with me the Minister of Counseling at Bellevue Baptist Church, Jamie Fish. And Jamie, welcome to the program. And I want to know what is roller coaster mine. Welcome, sir. Well, thanks for having me, Jim. Uh, well, roller coaster mine is a professional training conference. Um, we have some people here at our church who are friends of mine who. Um, struggled with mental illness and found a kind of a path to new hope in their life by having a team of people work together. And that's kind of the idea behind this is we want to get professionals connected with um, doctors and uh, first responders uh, from health and then also spiritual. So we're inviting pastors, we're inviting lay people, we're inviting doctors. Um, we've got uh CEUs and CMEs available, uh, 14 and a half that are available for the counselors and for um, therapists and then for the doctors, the CMEs. So um, it, it, it's something that they have to have for their professional uh, uh, resume uh, every couple of years. And, and so it's available for them. And, and we, we're bringing in a group of people that are, are going to speak on the topic of, of mental illness and the treatment and diagnosis of mental illness. So I think it's going to be a great conference. We're excited about hosting it. And um, thank you for, for giving us a chance to, to speak about it. Well, you know, I guess, Jimmy, what I'm concerned about when you talk about this, the media today is, I mean, there's so much out there. So this is for the professionals. Do you feel the professionals are able to to address this problem in our culture? Because it, it seems to me it's almost out of control. Yeah, you know, I, I ran across a survey that uh, 2021 that 57 percent of, of female high school students were persistently sad or hopeless. And unfortunately, some of these hopeless people, uh, they they they're going to go out in a blaze of glory. And so what, what your former guest was talking about, just uh, finding ways to hurt other people before they even take themselves out. So with the rise of suicide and violent crimes and, and then, you know, uh, a lack of, uh, of family involvement, we've got uh, uh, opportunity to, to engage uh, our, our leaders in our community who are the first ones to interact with the people that are depressed and sad and help them to kind of try to work through that. And it can't be just one person. It's got to be all of us working together. So this is a conference that are professionals to work together. What makes this conference different to others from others? Uh, well, first of all, we have uh, the faith community and, and the professionals that are in these different uh, fields coming in, uh, believing that it's not just uh, a, a mental illness thing uh, in the mind it's also in the body and in the in the spirit and so uh, we're going to explore all those things uh, we're bringing in uh, sloan manning from high point north carolina he's bringing one of his the counselors from his church um, he is the the lead physician for uh, a mood disorder clinic in north carolina uh, we've got dr clay jackson who's in town he's assistant professor at family medicine and psychiatry here in town Dan Boyd, who's at Lakeside Behavioral, he's going to be with us. Lou Martin, who's the 
director of Christian Psychological Center, and then Paul Neal, who's also at Christian Psych. And, you know, we're all trying to do our part and uh, touching in the lives of people, but we need uh, we need to connect these these people so that they know who they uh, who's working with them and who's working with their their clientele, and uh, and then we're all on the same page. Amen. That's uh, the key that. right there. They're all on the same page. The roller coaster mind diagnosis, the diagnosis and treatment of mental illness. Jamie Fish, Minister of Biblical Counseling. You can reach him on his cell if you'd like to talk to him. Four zero nine. 4388 or the church number is 347-2000 if you want to know more information. Jamie, thank you so much for the program. I appreciate it. I want to thank my guests, Kevin Westbrook, Chad and Dyson, Jamie Fish, of course, and Scott Jordan. If you have questions for any of these people, just contact me on the text line and I'll be glad to get that. That's Jim, J-I-M 901-683-0989. Reminds you that if you'd like to talk to Kevin, 901 258 or his email address is kevin at strategicaim.com. Next week, my guest, Rusty Leonard, Stewardship Partners. We're going to get an update from him on the economy, and you know he's on the program a lot. He does a great job. Jason Harrington's going to talk about getting financially fit, and Jacob Norman will talk about long-term care and why it should be a part of your financial strategy. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and Sunday at 9 a.m. I want to thank my producers, Tyler Springs and Max. Appreciate so much what they do. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production and marketing assistant, Lauren Norsworthy. My compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate you being with us. We're for you here every week, helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Kevin Westbrook, Strategic AIM Consulting, Jamie Fish, or Bellevue Baptist Church. The views and opinions expressed are those of Kevin Westbrook and Jamie Fish only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. If you would like more information about the roller coaster mind, go to www.bellevue.org slash mental health or text mental to 901-901. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.